Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 18. Once again, Shelley and Filthy Henry were standing in a fairly standard-looking field in the middle of nowhere, for the second time in as many days. Shelley looked about quickly, then stared at Filthy Henry. So it was all an act? she asked him. The fairy detective shrugged his shoulders and let go of the shadow orb. He returned Dagda's coin to his coat pocket, then took the magical glass sphere from Shelley. The least you could do is tell me when you're using me in one of your cons, Shelley said annoyed. The less you knew about it, the better you acted, Filthy Henry said. He held the shadow orb up to his right eye and peered inside it. You're a terrible actress, and any lines I gave you would have been obvious to Drew. Ergo, just drop it. Shelley glared at the fairy detective and considered giving him a swift kick in the shins. She would have done so as well, if not for the doubt in her mind as to whether or not she would be subject to some magical retaliation. Don't you think you were a little hard on Dagda earlier, she said. Filthy Henry lowered the orb for a moment, looked over it at her, then returned to staring into the swirling magical mist inside the object. Nope. Shelley decided to drop the topic. There was something very final sounding in the tone used by the fairy detective. Instead, she looked at the shadow orb properly. So much had been happening in Drew's store that she barely had a chance to look at the object. It was roughly the size of a large head of cabbage and seemed to be an unmarked sphere of thick glass. Within the sphere, a purple cloud of what Shelley assumed was gas swirled around. Every so often, the purple would roll back on itself and become black. As she watched it through her fairy sight, Shelley had the overwhelming urge to look away, to see something other than the orb. Even looking at it with her normal vision required a great deal of effort, as if the object itself was making her want to look at something else. These things really don't want to be seen, do they? she said. Nope, crafty little things. But this is a really good one. He handed it back to Shelley, wrapping his knuckles on the surface of the sphere twice. Should get you about forty minutes of partial invisibility, Filthy Henry said. Me? You! I can't do it. I need to go and ask Balor and Brez distracting questions. Maybe tell them that I've figured out the motive or something like that. They would see you as leverage if I sent you in alone while I searched the place. Meaning, you use the orb, and I go do the heavy lifting. But what if I get seen? Does the orb make me invisible to things with eyes as well? Filthy Henry looked at it thoughtfully, then frowned. No, what gave you that idea? Shelley considered giving him one of her usual thumps to the arm for being a wise guy, but the shadow orb took both her hands to hold comfortably. Somehow the withering look she gave him had no effect either. What are you planning then? Nothing too crazy, Filthy Henry said, his face a mask of innocence. He pointed at her and Shelley saw, with her fairy vision, the telltale glow around Filthy Henry's hand that indicated he was casting a spell. Gruig Bjogbera, Filthy Henry said with a slight downward gesture. Shelley, like most of the Irish population in modern Ireland, was not exactly fluent in the old language of her forefathers. But some words stuck in everybody's head if you heard them enough, and the one she definitely caught during his incantation was the word for hair. As the thought worked its way through her mind, 
Shelley felt something brush the back of her hand, while Filthy Henry looked at her a little panicked. What did you do to my hair? Filthy Henry knelt on the ground, gathered up some mud and grass in his hand, then scooped up something from the top of Shelley's shoe. He packed all this into a lump between his hands, then stood up and smiled. Nothing, he said. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Just needed a little bit of your hair for this spell, to help buy you some time below. Sail Byaga. This last part was whispered into his cupped hands, causing a flash of light to burst from the mud pie. Now here's the plan, Filthy Henry said. While we're here, they don't know we are, because we're still in Dagda's realm. But as soon as we shout down for them to open up like the demented little pigs they are, all bets are off. So, you use the Shadow Orb before they open up and carry this little fella down with you. We go our separate ways, and about a minute after, drop this on the floor and let it do its thing. Shelley looked at the clump of dirt, grass, and her hair. What is it? Look, if I had to explain everything to you, we'd be here till Judgment Day. Trust me, I'm the fairy detective. Fine, Shelley said, with a resigned tone in her voice. How do I use this orb? Hold it on two opposing sides, then press with all your strength. The beauty of these things is they can be used by normal humans without magic in them. But also, they're so simple to use, nobody even thinks about it. Shelley did as he said, pressing firmly against the glass with all her strength. Her hands passed through and into the orb, allowing the purple gas inside to escape. It poured out, flowing over her hands, and swirled up her arms and around her body. In a matter of seconds, it had completely covered her from head to toe before the glass orb shattered into pieces, the shards falling to the ground. The gas settled down and gave Shelley's entire body a slightly purple outline. Perfect, Filthy Henry said to Shelley as he handed her the pile of mud. He then checked his watch. Now, it's going to wear off in 40 minutes, and the time is 24 minutes past eight. So just keep an eye on that. I gotcha, she said. Right, let's do this. Brez was leaning against a pillar in Balor's throne room, watching the skitters unsettle the maggot Trent. It never ceased to amaze the Dark God, just how uncomfortable the creatures made humans. Back in the good old days, whole villages of maggots would run and hide in their homes as a single skitter walked by. Presumably, it had something to do with the incessant hissing the black balls of hair made. Or maybe it was the black hair itself. Maggots all seemed to have a dislike of spiders. Some developing a full-on phobia. Which was hilarious in its own right. Because if they knew what Balor and Brez had planned for Ireland, they would have something to be truly terrified of. The deer, on the other hand, wasn't phased by the creatures as they hopped about the place on Balor's throne platform. Not that he had ever seen them before but apparently the deer was different to most humans. He acted like one of the true gods who had had the misfortune to be born mortal. He was clever as well, figuring out just what to ask for in terms of payment for tasks done. This maggot favoured power over wealth. Whereas Trent gave the impression that if he was allowed to continue living, it would have been payment enough, with him owing some change back. This is not a simple ask, Balor said to the deer. You do know that. Look, I know you lot are all powerful beings. Nobody's disputing that, the deer said. But you wouldn't want to risk creating a paradox now, would you? 
Brez focused on the maggot killer, intrigued. How could a being of such lowly origins understand concepts far beyond them? More to the point, how had Balor not destroyed him with his dreadful stare yet? It took very little to anger the true chief of the gods, yet the deer was still standing. A paradox, Balor said, scratching his great scabby eyelid. Yes, you needed me to get rid of the dummy god, so that the other gods could get rid of the father god. Meaning you lot win your war, because they don't have healing gods to help keep them on their feet. Ireland is a very different place. Everybody who should win, wins. But if that happens, there's no guarantee that I'll be born to help you carry out your plan. So make me a god in the full sense of the word, and allow me to exist alongside you. But if we win the war, then we won't have to worry about getting the usurper's healers out of the picture, Balor said. Meaning we won't need to stage the killing, Brez added. The skitters all started to hiss loudly, a sign that Balor was agitated at Brez's intrusion into the conversation. But you won't know for sure. You may still create a paradox, the deer said. So why take the chance? Besides, who's to say you won't have need of my particular skill set, even if you do win the war? Without any verbal instruction, a group of ten skitters broke rank and scurried down to Trent and the deer. They formed a tight, hairy circle around them, and started to guide the men down a hallway that led away from the throne room. Brez looked at Balor's giant closed eye, confused. We have guests, the grotesque god said. Can't risk letting them see the tools out on display. Not when we're so close to having the usurper remove his friend from existence. So close to a well-deserved victory. Filthy Henry strolled into the throne room like he owned the place, his hands in his pockets and coat flapping behind him. The fairy detective walked into the centre of the floor and waved at Brez. How's it going, horsebox? the fairy detective said. Brez glared at Filthy Henry and gave serious consideration to conjuring a fireball with the half-breed's name on it. But Balor would have been furious at such an act. At least when they were so close to seeing their plan come to fruition. The dark god swallowed his rage, storing it like a cow in a separate stomach, where it could fester into something white-hot later and gave the fairy detective a nod. To what do we owe the displeasure? Brez asked. That's a bad sentence structure, Filthy Henry said. It's just the pleasure, not the displeasure. Brez felt his left eye twitch from irritation, but saw Balor make a slight gesture with his hand, a silent instruction not to rise to the bait. He's correct, Brez, Balor said. Sometimes you do muddle things up. But Henry, to what do we owe the pleasure of your company? Two skitters had returned from the hallway down which the deer and Trent had been ferried, showing no signs of being out of breath. Not that they ever showed signs of being in breath. One of them climbed up the back of the throne and began to massage Balor's hideous eyelid with its thin black fingers. The other picked up the long pole from the ground and stood beside the grotesque god, ready to poke things from roughly seven metres away. Will you ask me to come and report when I figure things out or learn something new? Filthy Henry said. Don't say you meant that only as mock interest. Such a thing would be shocking. Balor shifted on his throne, the giant eye wobbling with the movement like a scary bobblehead. Not at all, he said. 
the chief of the gods should know just as much as the usurper does when it comes to matters of importance such as this. If you can kill one god, even a false one, you can kill us all. Oh, but I think you know more than Dagda does, Filthy Henry said, giving Balor a cheeky wink. At the mention of the fat god's name, the hissing of the skitters increased. Rez noticed the tone which Filthy Henry had used when he spoke that last sentence. Balor was not used to dealing with maggots and would probably not have spotted it. The dark god stood up straight and brought his hands behind his back. Whatever the fairy detective was up to could require some powerful spells to be conjured in order to teach the half-breed a lesson. The rules be damned. But of course, Balor said. Please, tell me what you've learned. I think time is running out though, correct? So have you solved the case? In a manner of speaking, Filthy Henry said. But I can't really go into the details of it just now. Balor shifted about on his throne once more and thoughtfully tapped the side of his giant eyelid. Would you care to elaborate on that? The god asked. I'm just waiting for it to be fully solved, the fairy detective said. Then I can tell both sets of gods my findings at the same time. I do hate repeating myself. It's why I dislike circular conversations so much. Circular conversations? Filthy Henry nodded as he strolled over to a section of wall with a brick jutting out from it. With no grace at all, he plopped down and used it as a seat. Really should get some chairs or something in here. Maybe a sofa over there, Filthy Henry said, waving his hands around and in the direction of the opposite wall. It'd make it easier for people to come and visit you. Yeah, circular conversations. You know what I mean? When someone goes, what do you want for dinner? And you don't know, so you say, whatever, it doesn't matter. Then you ask them what they want for dinner, and they say, I don't mind, I'm easy. So you suggest something to eat, but that isn't what they want. So they go and ask you what you want, and before you know it, you bludgeon them to death, and are on the run, all because nobody ordered a pizza. Is this insane babble actually important? Rez snapped. There's a dead god up there after all, and another one about to die because you're down here rambling on about things we don't care about. I fear Brez's little outburst is right, Balor said. You should really start telling us what you know, or be up there solving the case along with your little friend. Silence descended on the throne room then. A few of the skitters started to give a low hiss, and moved around from behind Balor's throne, so that they were unobstructed in their hairy gaze at the fairy detective. Where's your helpful maggot half-breed? Balor asked, leaning forward slightly on his throne. Funny you should mention that, Filthy Henry said with a smile. She's off being helpful. Brez, Balor roared, causing a shower of dirt and dust to fall from above. The god did not have to be told twice. He teleported away in an instant. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. <laughs>